Happy New Year. You're listening to Paper Napkin, a podcast about connections. If you listened to season one of our podcast, you may remember the effervescent Kimberly Cornish. Focused on sustainability, agriculture, and social impact, she has some pretty incredible connections, and it's thanks to Kim that I was connected with Gabriella Chang. Gabriella Chang is the CSO and co-founder of Ethic Hub, an agro-fintech focused on financing and providing markets for unbanked smallholder farmers through a blockchain-based P2P crowd lending platform. Whether you're an expert on blockchain and cryptocurrencies or still trying to wrap your head around it all like I am, Gabriella offers us an articulate way of unpacking the value of these powerful tools and shares their initiatives set on building and regenerating the agricultural, economic, financial, and social systems for the nearly one quarter of folks in this world who are excluded from current financial systems and living in poverty. We spoke about poverty and hunger, food security and financial security, sustainability, and the juxtaposition of technology and tradition, and how connection is at the very heart of this incredibly important conversation. I came away with a better understanding of blockchain, but more than that, with a huge admiration for the incredible work that Gabriella and her team at Ethic Hub are doing. There's a lot of bad press about blockchain, but what Gabriella is doing is not only insanely smart, but also incredibly good for the world, focusing on value generation, decentralization, and social enterprise. A meaningful connection. I think connections are like conversations. And I think a good conversation is when you feel you give and you receive, you know, it's a reciprocal relation. So I think a good connection would be that that would enrich both the, the giver and the taker some, somehow. Gabriella, thank you so much for joining me on Paper Napkin. Welcome for inviting me, Kendra. So I'm really excited to have you here, but it's an excitement and a little bit of anticipation perhaps because we don't actually know each other. We were connected via Kim Cornish who was on the very first episode and I'd love to hear straight from you what you do and why you do it. I work with a visionary team of people that is using blockchain to connect people, to connect complementary regions to help reduce inequalities and poverty. Why? Because I think it's wonderful to find how to mix business and purpose and do that a, a way of life. That's brilliant. And what brought you into that space? How did you get here? Oh, another connection. My husband was the CEO from this company, and he asked me to help him to edit the white paper that is translated from Spanish to understandable Spanish for non-technical people and then to English. And then I, I learned a lot about what's the basis of, of this disruptive technology which has the power to improve the world in such a way that it was like fall, falling in love in the first sight, as I said. I just get deeper and deeper into the, the project. And that is how I ended being a co-founder now and, and fully committed with the project. And how have your expectations around what that was going to be and what that has become, have those differed? Of course. When you start something, especially in a startup, it's like you have a leading idea. And here it's very important to focus on falling in love with the problem and not with the solution. So we start with 
the idea of the solution, but we have very clear what the problem to solve was. So within a startup, but I think in general in life, you need to be open and willing to change and to adapt, you know, to the to what's coming on. So this has been very challenging times within the cryptocurrency ecosystem, within blockchain itself, within impact investing, and then with the COVID, who affected everybody, you know, in, in different ways. So I think this ability to adapt and change is something key if you are working with innovation. We need to be open to adapt to what is going on every moment, every time. So the idea is still there. We, we still are in love with what we are doing, but we don't have any problem changing and shifting to adapt. We say it's like a wave and we pick the best wave to go to the beach. It doesn't matter if it's uh, one blockchain or another. It's not about ideology, technical ideology, but it's about the purpose we want to, to reach. And that's like our focus and our vision as a team and, and as individuals also. And this is an area that I honestly can say I don't know very much about. And I'm really interested in how blockchain and food and crypto and all this disruption, how they all combine and how you would explain that to, to an everyday person. Well, the easiest way to explain what blockchain is, is to think of a ledger like an accounting book. Imagine we have an accounting book and you can write what I, what I have not uh, write down, like sales and purchases. But imagine then, and, and both books should be equal, right? Like, like identical copies. But imagine that it's a third book. And it's, it's third party book means thousands of copies of the book we have. So we cannot lose it. We cannot change data into it because it's already written and it's permanent and it's public and it's it's everywhere so that's i think that would be the easiest way to say it so you cannot say that you did something that is not true because once the, the transaction of, of value is done it's written down and you cannot modify it what other way of explaining this people understand uh, internet is for transferring information right but blockchain is for transferring value because the files, the cryptocurrencies are files with value and you cannot duplicate them. If I send you a picture or a file or anything on internet, you can copy it and broadcast and send it to as many friends as you want and you will do copies of this information. But if I'm sending you a value file with blockchain, it disappears from my computer and goes to yours. It's not duplicated. So that's a way of transferring value and not just information. So that's like the very basis of the functionalities of the of a blockchain. But it's not only that, because if you think cryptocurrencies are to blockchain, like emails were to internet. You know, in the 90s, people thought, oh, that's nice. I don't need to go to the post office to send a mail. No? That's but then look, everything that's come with internet. We have Google Maps, we have social media and, and all this that we couldn't think of before. Actually, this interview we're having now, it wouldn't be possible without internet and we take it for granted. So that will happen also with blockchain. It's uh, like they call it the industrial revolution of the internet because it will allow us more interaction between individuals 
in a more safe and secure way of, of interacting. A same for information or for value. And some companies are using it not for transference of money, but of credible information like traceability. You want to know exactly where the food came from and you follow all the supply chain with this. It's not just for money. It's like we're just starting to see what's going on. Some years ago, you would ask anyone, do you know what blockchain is? And they would say, no. Well, do you know what cryptocurrencies are? No. Have you heard about Bitcoin? Oh, yes, that thing that is used for buying weapons and drugs. And I say, yes, like euros and dollars. It's just a tool. And it's up on us to decide to do something positive with this very powerful tool. So that's where what we are working with on, on proving that it can be used to build and to regenerate the agricultural system, the economical system, the social system. Wow, that is not only incredible, but what a huge undertaking that you are taking on. And I know that you are in Madrid currently. I know that you were just in Mexico. How does the work that you're doing span the world? What does that look like? How we define actually our, our motto is connecting people and harvesting wealth. Because what we do, one of the problems of the current financial system, according to the World Bank, is that almost a quarter of the world population is, is excluded. We are talking 2 billion people and around 1.2 billion are the small farmers producing our food. And this is a very unbalanced system because if it was just a collateral damage, you would say, well, some people is not included, but we're talking one out of every four people in the world. So that's a huge problem. And what we are able to do with blockchain, maybe you have heard about crowd lending, when people decide to, to lend between them, between particulars, instead of going to the bank. Well. Blockchain allows this crowd lending, which is growing exponentially in the world, but within countries. Blockchain allows the money to do this traveling without going across borders. So what we do is to connect complementary economic regions. For example, uh, talking about liquidity. In Europe, liquidity is so high that if you have your money in the bank, you don't, you don't get returns. It's very low or even like in Switzerland or Japan, you have negative rates. You have to pay for having your money in the bank. And in the other part of the world, where there's no liquidity at all, where money is very difficult to, to get to, to. So people is paying interest over 100% rates, annual interest. Can you imagine that? And that's a quarter, a quarter of the world population is working only with cash and very, very expensive cash. In Mexico, it's very common to see microfinancial institutions lending at 146% yearly. Can you imagine that? So it's a nonsense. It's, it's like a paradox. How can some people, over 1 billion farmers, be paying these this rates, while in the other side of the world, we barely find where to invest or savings to keep its value? So what we did was to connect these groups of people and building a technological bridge so you can lend them. We organize them as groups of farmers. These are collaborative loan, group of loans. So you can lend them your, your money and you are getting a benefit for this, but you are also creating a huge impact. 
because you are giving them access to affordable money they can pay back. And this is helping them to improve their productivity. So for them, it's very easy to pay back because they have access also to markets. We are not only providing affordable financing, but also opening markets for, for their products. We are starting with coffee in Mexico because we are Mexicans and we were coffee producers ourselves. So it's a market we know very well. And then we would extrapolate this solution to other crops and to other regions in the world. Because this problem is not only in Latin America, it's also Southeast Asia and Africa. So we are starting with this model we know very well. And then this year we are starting to scale it. So I think it's a win-win system. Why would you lend them money? Because when they pay you back, you see that it's working and then you're willing to lend them even more money. And then it's like a like a cycle that is closing. It's the same with the with the buyers. They know they can trace the quality of the coffee. They know it is produced in a sustainable way, so they can tell them their customers. It's not. I, I would say we are not selling coffee. We are selling impact in a way because I don't need to know about coffee. You try it and you will know it's a premium coffee. If you know about coffee quality, the cup talks by itself. You don't need to sell that. But it's more important and easier even to sell the story behind the coffee and to know that you can change the world by choosing who do you buy your coffee to. You know, that's, that's very interesting because coffee, it's a high liquidity commodity. It has, it's, it's very easy to trade it in, in, in stock markets. But 80% of the producers of coffee are these tiny tiny farmers that are living in poverty. And it was a, this was a report from Fair Trade Organization in, in Spain. It's like 80% of the, of the total benefits are going only to three companies in the world. So there's not a redistribution of the wealth. By promoting the productivity of the farmers, they get out of the poverty trap by themselves with their work. It's just a little opportunity to keep balance to the to the supply chain because right now they are the weakest link and that's not sustainable not for them not for us that want to enjoy this this product wow so so many interesting pieces that you touched on there and number one i need to try this coffee i think that's the yes. start <laughs> but I love that you mentioned the line connecting people and harvesting wealth, uh, because it did feel like the perfect connection of, of us having this conversation. How does the work that you do impact the way that you view connection? Well, as I said, this is our model. This is what we think. We're living in the connectivity era. Babies born now are used to do this to open the, the screens and everything. It's like we need to develop systems that are post-internet. I mean, the supply chains, nowadays we have the same that we have one century ago. It doesn't show that we have all this technology to make it better. We are so connected that you should be able to buy your coffee, your food to the producers. You don't need all this wimble mimble that is in the middle. We need to select the links that provide value to the supply chain. And all of the rest, it's just like an interference there. So we are living in a pre-internet system and we have to move forward to benefit to 
the general population benefit from the advances we have in, in technology. So I think that's that's very important. That's what moves us is like using this amazing and powerful technology to leverage on the connectivity. We have to evolve trading to be able to connect people who produces and people who consumes. I think this is the, the era of the consumer. All consumers have superpowers because they every day they eat and every day they can change the world deciding who they buy the food to and where do they buy the food. I think being aware of these superpowers we have and using them for good. You've built this business. You've created these connections. What did that look like when it came to going to those farmers and starting up that conversation? How did that work? Ah, it's very easy because we sometimes complicate things because you you think you need to explain everything to everyone. And it's not like that. You need to explain the basics of the things. Do you explain someone how WhatsApp works on how email goes from one computer to the other? No, you just tell them how to use it. You don't explain how it works. It's the same with here, with this. Think that we are working with the base of the pyramid, with farmers that we need to walk two hours in a mule's narrow path to, to arrive to them. They don't have connectivity. Some of them have mobile phones, but there's no signal over there. So they used it when they go down to the to the cities. So how do we explain them? They know about the internet. So far, so most of them have heard about Facebook, even if they don't use it, maybe they're children or, or something. So we tell them the money comes through internet and we are convincing people in the other side of the world to organize and to lend them their money. And we say they are people just like you honest and hardworking people, maybe a teacher, maybe a lawyer, maybe a secretary, maybe a waitress, and they have the savings in the bank. And the bank doesn't give them much, much return for this money. We convince them to lend this money to you because you are going to use it to produce money for you and for them. We have beautiful documentary videos of them saying, thank you for trusting us, even when you didn't know us. You know what, for them it's amazing that someone is willing to, to support them uh, and they don't think they are paying back. What, what's very enriching of this relation, it's a, like a dialogue, like a connection between peers, between equals. They are investing in you because they trust in your work. They trust in your experience for, for growing coffee. They are trusting and they want to help, of course, but it's not out of pity. It's out of hope. It's out of out of trust. And this is a very enriching conversation, I think, on the both sides. And you should see when we interview the people that is lending the money and at the beginning, before the trading of the coffee, uh, we would have some coffee as, as a gift. And when they open it, it was like, it's my coffee. You know, it's like the, the achievement feeling of that you help produce this very coffee. I think it's an important and very strong connection between these consumer lenders and these producer borrowers. It's, it's amazing. That's just brilliant. And what you said, the trust and the trust, even though you didn't know us, is such a beautiful message and maybe also just a beautiful 
outlook on humanity. You know, I think we live in this world right now where there's a distrust towards the quote unquote other, anyone who doesn't feel like they're exactly like you. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea that people who could be on paper so different from each other are taking that step and trusting each other so completely because of what you've built. You've brought up the word community a few times. You also mentioned before we started recording that it felt like in the midst of all of the way that the world is right now, you need more community. We need more land. We need more of those physical elements. And I just wondered if you could say a little bit more about that. Well, I think community is everywhere. Connections is, is everything. Because in the case of the farmers, imagine being excluded from the financial system not just because they are last miles, last milers as they are called, because they live so far, so scattered in the mountains. It's so expensive, the due diligence to reach them. So the, the, the problem is not just that. The problem is that is, is they don't have valid warranties to borrow from our traditional financial system. So how we solve that? In the first stage, we built, we, we take advantage of the social capital they have. Since we don't, we don't grant individual loans, but group loans, they need a community to back up them. Because if they are 20 people, I don't know them, but there are 19 people that are willing to pay for these people, for this person, if he's not willing, she's not willing, able to. So this is like a social capital. They rely in the, in the community. And so I will tell you an example. Once we were, we were talking about the rates of the money and, and everything. And then uh, a man come to me and he said, oh, I would love to participate in, into it. It's very attractive and I want to be part of it. And I said, uh, I'm not the person to include you into a group. You have to be part of a group. And that's not my, I cannot decide on that. Talk with your neighbors and form a group. And of course you'll, you'll be welcome. And he, when he went away, one of the persons from the farmers from the group come to me and said, oh, please don't include that man into our group because he's ill-reputed. He doesn't pay. And, and I said, don't you worry because that's your job. That's your responsibility to filter people which is trustable and people which is not, you know? And, and so if you were an individual, you wouldn't have access to our credits. People it's willing to trust into someone who belongs to a community. All this movement comes from the open source uh, developers. The blockchain is written in open code, so it's very easy to copy and paste. Actually, the first blockchain was Bitcoin. And then the other ones, all of them are copy and paste of the code. The second one that did something really different was Ethereum, which added these smart contracts that I was telling you about. But then when people say, but if anyone can copy and paste, anyone can invent money. Bitcoin has a value because there is a community willing to concede it has a value. It's in general like that. If in your family you do these coupons that are exchangeable for cookies, you can do it within the community of your family. You cannot go with your neighbor and say, put me, take some cookies for me. You know, it's, it's the, same, the same idea. So that's why communities are so important. But also, Within blockchain, you can redistribute the value of the community through all these smart contracts. It's like the cooperative uh, 2.0, what we are going to be able to see, to participate commonly within the, the, the business. Because now with blockchain, 
capital, uh, uh, the economy is not based in capital, but it's based in the interactions of the people using a service or consuming a, a, a good. It's so fascinating. As you were speaking, I wrote down the juxtaposition of technology and tradition because it is this incredible, incredible technology that you're utilizing to kind of go back to basics, to create yes. something that feels like where we came from, yet would be a beautiful place to be where we're going. Exactly, exactly. It's, it's amazing, but technology should be that. Technology should, technology properly used should be a way of moving forward the, the whole humanity, not just some of us, I think. Because if you see in the last years, it is said, it's also, it is said 1% of the population owes 50% of the wealth. And this gap is widening every, every year. And that's not sustainable because it's not about, as I said, it's not about equalizing people because we are all different but it's about having the minimum so the rest can enjoy what they have without being worried about some others wanting to take it because they need it so much, you know? You cannot be as free as you think unless everyone is free in that, in that way. Until everyone has covered the basic needs, then you have a, a better world to live, even if you, are a hard, you work harder so you have more than others or you're smarter, whatever. But there should be like a common base for everyone because we have the resources. When people said there's poor people because there's no food, we know there's plenty of food in the world. There's a lot of waste on the food and there should not be one person starving within the world we live in. I think that would make the world a safer place for everyone, not just for the people who has a guard in front of the house to keep it with a, with a gun, you know? It should be something general and it's something achievable and i'm very confident and very positive about this because it's becoming a trend you know it's not fashion just to be sustainable it's it's already a trend and impact investing is also a trend and the new wave uh, of innovation is sustainability i think we're going to leave very very beautiful things to see because there's a lot of people working to improve the system we have, and I think we are going to make it on time. I think so too. I think what you're doing is incredible and the, the optimism, sincerity, and realism, pragmatism that you, that you take into this is just so inspiring. And I just feel very grateful to get to connect with you, Gabriela. So thank you for this. I I'm going to pivot slightly, but I think it's still along the same lines. What does a meaningful connection look like to you? A meaningful connection. I think connections are like conversations. And I think a good conversation is when you feel you give and you receive. You know, it's a reciprocal relation. So I think a good connection would be that that would enrich both the, the giver and the taker some, somehow. And I love that because I think even the work that you're doing, which is a business connection, has that ability to enrich both sides. And the fact that when you bring something to the table, if the other person is willing to bring something to the table as well, what a deeper 
and more impactful connection that becomes is a really nice message. Yes, we, we think we are different from NGOs or philanthropic organizations because we believe mutual benefit is a much more powerful driver to solve these huge problems. There, there's, the problem is too big to solve it just with the accidents because you donate only when you are fine, but you invest when you need to improve. So this, as I was saying, it's more an equals relation when you invest into someone to help this person to improve through its own her her own or him his own productivity. Anything that is not sustainable will stop being profitable. We need to to join both things. I think one of the of the short thing of capitalists was to think it was only monetary, because capital is not just economic. Capital is also environmental and social. Think of a, of a furniture maker. You think, how much is the wood? How much is the tools, the carpenter, the sales, the transport, and everything? And then when you think about profits, it's never the capital. It's aside the capital. But you haven't considered when you build that chair that the wood came from a tree. And that tree was within the nature. And then you have to replace that tree in order to say the capital has not been touched. So I think we are living a time when we are understanding that capital is not only monetary. But we, take, we need to take into the balance, into the equation, also the environmental and the social capital. And I think that's a huge change on how we are focusing economy right now. And I think that that mindset is so brilliant because it really does shine a light in a number of areas on this idea of you can't constantly take and take and take and expect that to be sustainable from a societal perspective, from an environmental perspective, but also even from a relationship perspective, one-to-one. This idea that it needs to be reciprocal, that it needs to be symbiotic perhaps, and that there needs to be that opportunity for impact, as you say, but for something better. And I think that the way that we've built so much of our economy is built on this perspective that, at least in the Western world, this perspective that everything is infinite, that we have, that will never run into any issues and that we can waste and we can take, take, take. And I think what you were saying really spoke to me because it feels like a blueprint for better, a better world, but also just a blueprint for better connections one-to-one. Yes, yes. It is said, the big, big mistake until now is that we've been doing an extractive, extractive business, extractive economy. And the transition to this was sustainable, but we need to go even further and we need to go into regenerative. It's not enough to stop cutting trees. It's needed to plant new trees. It's not enough to stop deploying the land. We need to renourish the land for the land to give it back things. Also, sustainability from the, according to the UNOS definition is being able to provide the needed goods for survival for the present generation without compromising those of the future generations, right? But we don't need to do only that. We, we are now a bit late, so it's not enough to stop doing damage. 
we need to restore that damage, to regenerate that. And regeneration is the new word. I, I, I think even when they say sustainability is the new trend, it should be regeneration because we need to arrive faster to this better future. I love that. I think that is so, so impactful. I feel like I could talk to you forever about this and I really want to, but I recognize we don't have too much time left. So I just have two more questions for you. The first one uh, being, what is one piece of advice that you often pass on to others? Oh, one of my favorite words in the, the last months I've just learned, it's a Japanese concept that is called ikigai. And it's when you cross four, four elements in your life, what you're good to, what you like to do, what you're paid for doing and what is good for the world. And most people, a lot of people is doing the three things. If you have a, if you work in something you, you are good at and you get paid for it, but then you can add purpose to anything you do by looking into what is good for the, for the world. And I think the 17 uh, sustainable development, development goals are a good guide for it. There's a lot of, of things you can do to, to add this fourth element to your, to your equation. So I think my piece of advice lately, not just to entrepreneurs, but also to people in general, is to look for that balance in your life that gives purpose to your work. So to make your work part of your life and enjoy it. That is brilliant advice and something that I think I may be researching right after this and building my own four circles. So thank you for that. And thank you so much, Gabriella, for this conversation. It has been so enlightening, so inspiring. The magic of this podcast is forever amazing me, but this conversation especially has just opened my eyes to so many things that I didn't know or understand. And I really appreciate that. I want to give you a quick moment to let people know where they can find you and find more about what you do with Ethic Hub. What is the best way to connect with you and the business? You can visit our, our website. It's ethichub.com. From there, you can visit all the information regarding the, the project, the crowdfunding platform. And also you can connect there to buying coffee. We are constantly looking for people willing to drink impact not just coffee, because we are just opening markets. So that would be wonderful connections. And all the information is, is there. Now we are selling uh, roast coffee for retail, let's say, consumers within Spain. And we are about to sell also in Italy, France, and uh, Portugal. But we are also exporting to USA and Canada. We are looking for partners to, to open the, the trading part. So you're welcome to visit our webpage and all the information is there. You can look for me in LinkedIn, Gabriela Chang Valdovinos. Having two last names is easier to find people on the, on the world right now. I would love to tell you about the, the tokens and how a token can build this trust for the people. We are working with the ethics, which is a token within our system. So we design a system where we can all buy these tokens to collectively provide the collateral for these people. So more lenders are willing to lend them because they know if there would be a default, there is enough collateral to cover for it. 
after three years operating, we keep a 0% default. But now with this very technical thing, we think we're going to start scaling and making this platform reach more farmers over the world. Thank you very much for the chance to talk about my, our project. And I hope you, you can add to our community and follow us very much. Oh, thank you, Gabriella. And the final question I have for you, which is a question that I ask everyone, uh, in true paper napkin fashion, who should we connect with next and what makes them a great connection? It is my pleasure to introduce Anne Rambaud. She's an specialist on impact investing. She's one of the most interesting persons I know, and she's related to a wider range of projects and people that are changing the world for better. Thank you so much for your time today, and I really look forward to continuing the connections. What an incredible conversation with Gabriella, and what a way to kick off the new year. We have more great episodes for you for the second half of season two in 2022, so please stay tuned. And if you can, please rate and review us on your listening platforms. Nice words from you lovely folks don't just make my heart insanely happy. They also help us to reach and connect with more lovely people. We'll be back with another episode soon. Until then, be kind and maybe pass on one of the episodes you enjoyed to a friend or family member. Take care. 